it's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now? at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Well, good evening, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, here again. And Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here tonight at WPTF's Hotlines, ready to answer all of your financial questions. Don't forget, call us, 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783 for any of your financial planning questions. That's right. What's on your mind tonight? You've got a whole hour to ask any of those questions that have been on your mind this week, this month, this year. Is it cash flow planning or is it tax planning? How about retirement planning? Doug, we get a lot of those questions. We do. How about estate planning or education cost planning? We had a lot of graduations this weekend. Your kid may be next. If so, give us a call. How about insurance needs or investments? These are the topics that we would love to answer any questions you might have. As Linda always says, write down those questions. Give us a call during the week at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. We are the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. And we've been doing financial planning in the Raleigh area for Gosh, now, 34 years, Pop. <laughs> 34 years and running. <laughs> Comprehensive financial planning. And, and we're I think a family firm. We're a family firm, and that's what I think makes us a little unique. We know how to listen to you and your family's issues and solve them for you. That's right. So why don't you get us started and get started and give us a recap of the week? Well, the week, of course, uh, is going to always start with how the Dow Jones do. The Dow Jones closed. We're still... Just bumping 21,000. It was 20,896. A tiny bit down. Oil itself was at not 50, but 47, almost $48 a barrel. And stocks were mixed to down this week because of political events that dominated the headlines. Of course, the firing of FBI Director James Comey might have impeded the administration's tax reform and infrastructure agendas. So far, though, the market's non-reaction may actually accelerate policymaking timelines as the administration looks ahead. Friday's announcement of certain trade agreements with China highlighted progress on discussions that began following the president's meeting last month with Chinese President Xi Jinping. In that, t- in that deal, the China, China itself is going to open its markets to U.S. beef producers and liquefied natural gas. 
China also has agreed to issue guidelines to begin the licensing process for payment processing networks and credit rating agencies. This deal uh, counters fears of protectionism and suggests that President Trump is actually working to lower the trade deficit and expand American business interests. Elsewhere, the European economy is beginning to show signs of life. Germany's data for the first quarter revealed the economy expanded. France's election of centrist Emmanuel Macron should contribute to political cohesiveness and raise prospects for economic reform in that region. And, of course, with regard to oil, crude oil prices rose for the first time in four weeks. That's because inventory reports showed a steeper-than-expected drop. So, all in all, a continued positive momentum in corporate results, I believe, is going to support the stock market valuations. Investors, however, or speculators, will likely shift their attention to the Federal Reserve's meeting on June 13th and 14th. Concerns about policy normalization could lead to increased volatility. We will see. So far, everything is looking very good. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because um, with a lot of unknowns, there hasn't been uh, what may have been expected is a lot of volatility. You know, we're, we're still at that very close to 21,000 benchmark. And it means that there's a lot of people who are feeling more confident, who have been going into the market. And in that vein, they're, they sometimes are asking us, asking other people, well, what is my investing fee? And this can be a quite frustrating experience. Um, just finding out what might be the answer to this simple question can often be maddening, hair pulling. <laughs> so um, I thought we might bring this up tonight because this is a question that a lot of people want the answer to. Yeah. If you're out there listening, you also might question something that you think is simple. How much am I paying my investment advisor in fees? Well, it's sort of interesting because this same question was raised by a Wall Street Journal financial reporter who uh, became, in in her article, she said she was ashamed of how little she knew about the workings of her own investments, so she decided to research what fees she actually was paying to invest with her financial advisory firm, which happened to be one of the largest in the United States. She also said that her investments were only in mutual funds, not in individual stocks. So it should be fairly easy to find this answer. So she decided uh, to to pursue answering this question, and she assumed that the fee information she was looking for would be readily available. Yeah. She says that she told the man who she spoke to, who answered the phone that day, that she wanted to find out what fees she paid. And he he told her there's a $125 annual flat fee and that's it. And alarm bells went off in her head. Right. She's like, really? That's it? And she's, you know, she said, well, I've always assumed that there was a percentage charge on my investments. And when he came back and said, no, that's the only fee, she became increasingly dubious. And And that's when he said, well, each fund in which you're invested has internal fees. So she came back and said How do I find those out? (laughs) And he said, well, if you uh, give me a little bit of time, I'll take you to the website. They went to the website together. He couldn't find it. He didn't know where to point her. And she said, okay, I give up. And and her next step was 
a thought that said, well, wait a second, I meet with this guy who's the financial advisor who's representing this firm. Uh, periodically, I meet with him for an account review. Maybe I'll send him an email and ask him, how much are my fees? Yeah, that got nowhere. And then her irritation, she says, seemed to set off alarm bells at the company. So what happened was she received not one but two calls from a supervisor now suggesting that really he'd be able to help her. That's right. And then the man that she spoke to that time proceeded to tell her that the the exact opposite of what the first advisor had told her, <laughs> that there was no $125 annual fee, and that was only for people who were investing in stocks. Remember, she doesn't own any stocks. And that her portfolio had an annual fee of 0.85%. Wow, that's high. 85 hundredths of 1%. And that it was deducted quarterly. So, so then, yeah, yeah. Then, then she said, well, what about these other internal fees that the other guy told her? He said, oh, those will range from anywhere about 0.4% to 0.8% annually. So that's another bunch of money that's added on there. So what's the actual number she wanted to know? And that's when he said, well, you're invested in the moderate risk basket. So the expenses average 0.55%. Okay. Now she has an answer to that question. That's what it's costing her. However, she said, well, she finally had the answer to what the fees were that she had paid, but she still remained in the dark about where this was documented. And about that time, she received a response from the advisor who she normally had these scheduled visits for the portfolio reviews with. And that's when he cited her the 0.85% number. So (laughs) she's now gotten a third person to give her a third number. And he said, oh, but the internal expense fees are about 0.5%. So she figured out, all right, so if I add it together, my combined fee is 1.4%. Well, you start thinking about that, 1.4%? That means on a million-dollar portfolio, that's $14,000 a year. year. But at least she figured out she got some answers. She's not sure where she could find it. It wasn't documented anywhere, but that was the end of her quest. Right. Now, at Lewis Financial Management, we send our clients written receipts of our clients' fees because we know that this is an issue, and we know that clients should not be searching and stumbling in the dark trying to answer that question. Do you have questions about your investment portfolio? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. So, Doug, how do you get a straight answer about advisor fees? Well, I think the two-word answer to your question, Deborah, is just ask. Okay. You know, you should be – well, really, (laughs) I mean, I think any listener out there should not be ashamed to ask the financial person they're dealing with, what about my fees? Yes. It's the very least a financial advisor owes you is a transparent explanation of what's going on. Some may make it seem like rocket science, but it isn't. They're using complexity to confuse you and you're not getting straight. If you're not getting straight answers, you understand that you understand. Just go somewhere else. Most. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Deborah. I mean, that's the whole deal. You need to go somewhere else if you don't get straight answers about your fees. Most investors don't know how much their financial advisor uh, is paid by them. Uh, There was a survey that said the overwhelming majority, it said 60% of investors don't know. But my experience is meeting for 30 years with clients. They come to me in my office for their first meeting. They ask me to look at their portfolio and I look at it and and I say, well, do you know how much your fees are? 
And a hundred, I've never had anybody that can tell me they all are confused. They don't know what their fees are. That's right. Now, your account statements can be lengthy, and many say that they need uh, to be ready to provide a simple explanation of how they are compensated. Well, here are some questions that you should ask so that you'll know what your advisor fees are. Yeah, now, you, you should even write these down. If you're listening tonight, write down those questions. Your first question should be, how much do you charge me for advice? That's right. You should ask your financial advisor if you are charged an annual fee, usually split across each quarter of the year, or if you pay a commission for each transaction. These charges should also be available on your account statements under headings such as fees and charges or factored into the overall performance of a given investment. Once you get that question answered, then you want to ask another question, are there costs tied to individual investments? What are these costs called, Doug? Well, many mutual funds charge what's called 12B1 fees for marketing distribution, marketing or distributions, which are often about a quarter of 1%. Well, some, however, can be as much as 1%. And there's a big difference if the fees that are attached to a mutual fund are a quarter of a percent per year. That's one number. If they're 1%, that's four times the other one. Now, unlike commissions, 12B1 fees don't appear on transaction confirmations or on client account statements. Again, your financial advisor should be willing and able to explain any underlying investment costs. But investors can also rely on research from Morningstar or FINRA to determine these costs. Investors in fee-based accounts should also ensure that any 12B1 fees are rebated against their annual fee. Otherwise, the advisor might be getting paid twice for the same investment. Yeah, now that's an interesting thing because this uh, this next question I'm going to give you has to do with if you're in a managed account. Right, very popular these days. Right. But if you're in a managed account, you shouldn't be paying 12B1 fees also. So your question is, in a managed account, are there any extra costs that I'm paying? More financial advisors are encouraging their clients to put their money in managed accounts. These are these personalized portfolios of stocks and bonds chosen by the money manager. Such accounts are usually charged a fee by the brokerage firm, similar to your run-of-the-mill based account fee-based account, but they also tend to come with an added fee as much as 0.5% charged by the investment firm managing the account. Yeah, actually, uh, there was some uh, literature recently in the public press or some articles in the public Mm -hmm. press. Merrill Lynch is stating that those fees together with what the brokerage firm charges could push the annual cost to as high as 2.5% of the portfolio's value. Now, if you think about 2.5%, all together mm-hmm. on a million dollar portfolio, that's $25,000 per year. That is a huge number. Right. And so that's a huge drag on what the investment portfolio can do. That is the drag. That's exactly right, Deborah, because that $25,000 comes right off the top, whether so, you make money or lose money. So, Doug, what other services should someone ask whether or not their advisor? provides. Okay. So we have these questions. Question number one you should ask is how much do you charge me for advice? Question number two, are there costs tied to individual investments? Question number three, in a managed account, are there any other costs? And then question number four, what other services do you provide for me? Because if your advisor has simply put you into a diversified portfolio and he's charging you a fee of as much as one and a half percent, be sure to ask if he or she is providing any other services. 
like tax advice, estate planning advice. After all, advisors earn their fee regardless of how your investments perform. If you make money or lose money, they're getting that fee. An advisor who's charging that much money should be providing you much more than just a suggested portfolio. And, of course, we're very proud of the fact that at Lewis Financial Management, that is what we pride ourselves on, giving service. Service not only about investments, service about income taxes, about estate state planning, wills and trust, about cash flow planning, all of the things that are on your financial mind. Do you have questions about your financial planning? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. So, Doug, it's interesting, but on everybody's mind is a lot of the unknown that might be out there in regard to the current administration's recommendation for legislation changes. And some of these are quite positive. Yet lowering taxes is a big priority, especially amongst the self-employed or the small business owner. Reducing the business tax rate is far more important to entrepreneurs than eliminating the estate tax or other proposed tax changes, according to a survey that was just done. Three-quarters of entrepreneurs said cutting the maximum tax rate to 15% for businesses is the most important part of the tax plan that's recently been outlined by the Trump administration. The tax plan unveiled by President Trump proposes to cut the rate for all businesses, including sole proprietorships, LLCs, partnerships, S-corps, and other pass-through corporations, for sure, That is a big, big news item if it goes through. And I do believe that we're going to see something along that line. Quint, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Thank you. uh, A friend of mine, a widow in her 70s, is selling a few acres of land, or only a state that she has except for her house, uh, for about $150,000. I'm just wondering, is there a way for her to avoid or defer the huge tax bite that receiving... uh, large payments or full payment would create? Is, for example, a, is there a trust of some sort that could be established? Yes, there is. Tell me a little bit more, Quint, about the specifics, and I'll tell you how to do it. Uh, you can avoid all taxes on sale of real estate if you play the game right. Mm-hmm. How old is she? Uh, she's just past 70. She's 70 years old. Is she married? Or You say she, she's, she's a widow? widow? Widow, yeah. She's a widow. Does she have children? Uh, grown sons and uh, uh, 40, 35, 40 years old. All right. What's the size of her estate? Uh, in, that, uh, in addition to this... Uh, yes, her total estate. Oh, probably 225, something like that, 250. About a $250,000 total estate. Include, yes, including e- the land that's about to be sold. Right. Now, this land, you say the land is worth $150,000? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not her residence? That's correct. All right. And how much is the basis, the tax basis in the property? In other words, what'd she pay for it originally? Oh, goodness. She and her husband bought it back in the late 40s and uh, probably didn't pay more than five or 6000 for it. All right. So we'll assume almost the entire $150,000 is going to be capital gains. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take a look at this and see what we can do. Right. She can establish what's called a charitable trust. It's a double trust strategy that Linda and I have done for a number of clients in the last couple of years. Uh, And it works like this, Quint. She established, first of all, how's her health? Uh, Very good. Well, that's another plus. Mm -hmm. Last question before I give you the answer is, 
What does she want ultimately after her death to happen to her estate? Uh, probably to uh, leave it for the use of her two sons. All right. Uh, just to leave a, an estate for them. Okay. Their care. Uh, both of them, uh, neither of them are wealthy. Uh, that's correct. They're not. Okay. All right. And they're her up. income, by the way, does she, can she, does she, what is her income level right now? Uh, it's not very high. She, uh, she works part-time as a licensed practical nurse uh, two or three nights a week. And uh, then she has Social Security and uh, a little uh, income from... Uh, so really, the reason that she's selling this property is to get some income for herself? No, it's really to, uh, to convert it to, uh, uh, to uh, cash for investment or, or for, uh, to build an estate. Well, what I'm saying is, if she, it, it, I think we're saying the same thing. If she sells it, she wants to get it converted so it's producing income. Well, yes. Uh-huh. Moving it from an illiquid, non-income-producing right. asset to an income-producing yeah, asset. I, I guess that's, that's true, yes. All right. If she sets up a charitable trust and transfers the ownership of this property into the charitable trust and still retains herself as the trustee of this trust, then she as trustee sells the property mm-hmm. for the $150,000. She has she pays no capital gains tax whatsoever. The entire 150,000 is available to her for her to invest. Mm-hmm. Now, the key to this thing is well there are three keys. Mm-hmm. First of all, if she wants to make sure that the asset or the value of that asset, that 150,000 is going to go to her children, after she dies, mm-hmm. then she has to set up a second trust or some sort of replacement strategy. Mm-hmm. Because in doing a charitable trust, she is agreeing after her death to give what's left of the asset to a charity, oh, uh-huh. but to keep the income portion herself during her lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, you know, if she goes ahead and actually lives uh, for twenty years, for example, then she would actually have. Uh, you know, over a quarter of a million dollars of income coming out of this trust. But on the other hand, the principal, what's in the trust, will go to a charity after her death. Yeah, right. That's why Uncle Sam will let her go ahead and sell it and not pay taxes, Mm -hmm. even though the gift is going to be a deferred gift at some point in the future. Right. The way we solve that problem, and I have some clients who don't care about that. They're really looking just to increase their own income for their lifetime. They may not care. They may not have children and so on. Mm-hmm. They just want to increase their income, and they also want to go ahead and avoid capital gains taxes. Right. The second trust, however, is to put up an insurance trust, which we call a wealth replacement trust. Let's say $150,000 wealth replacement we buy it. We 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 buy a hundred and fifty thousand dollar life insurance policy. We get the cheapest one we can, and that pays at her death to her children. Mm-hmm. So now, during her lifetime, she's avoided all of the fifty three thousand dollars of taxes on sale of the property. She gets fifty percent more income, and at her death, what's left in the charitable trust goes to the university or the Salvation Army or even a charitable foundation in her name. And then what's left over there in the insurance trust, that goes to her children. Uh-huh. And, of course, where does the premium come from to pay for the insurance? From part of the cash flow from the first trust. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the whole key is when you do one of these double trusts, she should always be the trustee. Yeah. Never give up control. Right, yeah. 
If you would like to go ahead and have her call my office, I will go ahead and schedule an appointment. Linda can schedule an appointment to get together with her and explore the uh, um, what she can do because we have done a number of these. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, and that's the joy of, of, of using the strategy right. is that because you've got this piece of property that's appreciated in value since she first you know, bought it, uh-huh. that uh, you can have a tax problem down the road uh-huh. when, when things are final. And it passes to the other party. Right. And Uncle Sam will be right there with his hand out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but if you'll call the office, um, our number here in Raleigh is 872-7000. 872-7000. Okay. And uh, we'll be happy to do what we can to uh, help her and you if we can. Okay. Well, look, uh, you've, you've uh, devoted a, uh, quite a response here, and I appreciate it. Thank you Okay, and thanks for Thank calling. Thank you, Quinn. Mm-hmm. You bet. And if you have questions about your investments, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. You know, Doug, this is probably one of the most underused techniques in the world of financial planning. And it's something you'll never hear about if all your advisor is doing for you is money management. That's a very good point, Deborah. I was recently at a national conference in California where there were uh, a lot of uh, financial advisors. There were even a number of people that did radio shows. And one evening, uh, Linda and I were sitting around talking with a couple of radio uh, planners that uh, told me how they do their radio show and also how they do their planning in the office. And when I mentioned the fact that I do a lot of tax planning and I promote it quite strongly on our radio show, they were quite shocked. But that's because they're not really interested in doing this kind of planning. But it's on the minds of so many of our listeners, especially in North Carolina. We have folks that are what we call land-rich, cash-poor. Absolutely. We have ones that have have, uh, large tracts of land, either farmland or inherited land or recreational land, which they're no longer using. And recently, we've we've been helping a couple different families where they were once properties that were out in the middle of nowhere. Well, the middle of nowhere has grown up around them. So now these properties have become quite valuable. And it might have been just farmland that um, was at one point not even nobody was interested in it. Well, this farmland might be now being in the eye of a commercial developer because the city or the county area has moved out to this family farm. So we're seeing this situation frequently enough to at least say this is the type of scenario. You know, it might be 250000 it might be $2 million, it might be $25 million. Well, you know, if it's a piece of property that has appreciated that much, let's say it's a million and a half, you might be facing, by the time the accountant looks at it before you accept the offer mm-hmm. and realize, oh my gosh, that's $400,000 in taxes that I'm going to pay, and that's exactly right. So now you're caught in a bind. 40000 No. No, because if you have... Uh, Almost forty percent. You're going to have maybe here. Yeah, I'll do it real quick. Let's say you got a you got a million and a half. Oh no, it was just one hundred fifty thousand. No, I said, but if we have a piece of property oh, oh, that's oh. appreciated <laughs> like to a million and a half. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Like like the one that we're dealing with really now in the office. Okay. That's exactly right. Yes. You yes. could be facing four hundred thousand yes. dollars in taxes because yes. you've got fifteen or twenty percent capital gains tax. Then you got a six percent tax on top of that for North Carolina, or five point eight percent. And so forth. But the bottom line is it puts the person who receives this offer Mm -hmm. in an awkward situation. They'd like to sell it because they need it to produce income for them. Mm -hmm. But they're 
facing this huge tax bite, and lo and behold, here comes the tax strategy. Right. You can indeed turn that into, into an income stream. Into an income stream and pay zero income tax. Instead of foregoing, yeah, instead of foregoing that four hundred thousand, and that you receive the entire one point five million. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It is probably one of the least understood strategies that's out there, or least used strategies mm-hmm. that's out there. We like them a lot. Well, there's a lot of change in the world around us today, and a lot of it has to be is still in regard to Trump and and his administration and what might be some of the changes. So as we uh, know more, we will be keeping this um, uh, topical on our show. One of the big things is the change to the deductions. That's right. We're back to the world of of tax again. And you should definitely expect changes to your deductions if Congress adopts President Trump's tax changes. The proposals that were released explicitly call for doubling the standard deduction and protecting write-offs for home ownership and charitable gifts. The standard deduction is a fixed amount that taxpayers can subtract from income if they don't itemize write-offs for mortgage interest, donations to charity, state and local taxes, and other items on Schedule A. Yeah, currently the standard deduction for a married couple is $12,700. And about 70% of people that file tax tax returns use this standard deduction. They don't itemize. Mm -hmm. Now, Mr. Trump, he wants to double the standard deduction, raising it to $25,400 for married couples. Now, such an increase could cut taxes and simplify filing for many people. It would also take pressure off the overburdened IRS because the agency wouldn't have as many deductions to police. So that all sounds positive. It is positive. Uh, It gets a little more complicated, however. Okay. Because Mr. Trump's recent proposals, which include his promise to protect the deduction for mortgage interest and charitable uh, donations, suggests that the other write-offs on Schedule A are in jeopardy, like state and local taxes. The deduction for state and local taxes is especially at risk given the Republican majority in Congress. Its benefits go mostly to taxpayers in states where Democrats hold sway, such as California, New York, and New Jersey. So this deduction is also costing the government a great deal of revenue. Taxpayers using it this year will save more than... $100 $100 billion, according to the Congressional Joint Committee on Taxation. That's more than the mortgage interest deduction. Should this deduction be repealed, the pain would be spread unevenly due to another quirk in the law, which is what we call the AMT or the alternative minimum tax, which already causes people to lose part of their state and local tax deductions. The alternative minimum tax was first imposed nearly 50 years ago to keep the wealthy from overusing tax breaks. Based on the tax's current construction, taxpayers who earn about 200000 to a million a year wouldn't feel the loss of their state and local de- deductions as much as middle class taxpayers on ve- or very high earners. Yeah, there is still another way that deductions could take a hit. If Mr. Trump's proposals are adopted, the White House released three tax brackets, a 10 percent, a 25 percent and a 35 percent instead of seven. While that would bring a a big drop, a welcome drop in tax rates for many people, it would also lower the value of the deductions, the write-offs, because the savings from those deductions are proportional to the tax rate. 
So you can be sure there's a battle looming in Congress, and we at Lewis Financial Management will be watching it and coming up with recommended tax strategies to help our clients get the benefit. And if you have questions about your taxes, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, you know, another thing that's really on people's mind, Doug, is inflation. Yeah, it's a word that we haven't uh, heard very much about recently, but there's good news. Inflation just topped a key milestone. Even better news, it doesn't look poised to zoom much higher from here. Consumer inflation in February jumped above the Fed's 2% annual target for the first time in nearly five years. Firming prices are a big change from the past few years when inflation stayed stubbornly low. The increase hasn't been enough to get the market, consumers, or the Fed worried about a serious, serious, serious bout of inflation. Inflation inspections are important because when people perceive inflation is headed higher, they tend to increase spending ahead of the price increases themselves, and that can drive actual inflation higher. Yeah, one of the key factors that's driving these expectations higher isn't the fact that prices are soaring, but that people have stopped worrying so much about deflation. And then conversely, inflation isn't expected to surge much higher than current levels either. Chances of inflation jumping to, say, 3% on average over the next five years are just really low. This has an effect, of course, when you go to the bond market. And this is very evident in the bond market right now. Higher inflation leads investors to have lower bond values. For now, at least, inflation appears to be in that very sweet spot for both the Fed and financial markets. And again, we are very concerned, especially focusing on the bond funds. Doug, Barbara called in and she's 59, almost 59 and a half. And she bought this Horace Mann annuity, which... uh, Must have been a school teacher. Exactly. Uh It was set up a long time ago, she said, for school teachers. Okay. And it is tax-sheltered. And what she was wondering is, can she roll this over to another vehicle, like a some other tax-free vehicle, like a treasury bill? or okay. um, one? Actually, she has two annuities. One is valued at about 50785 and the other one's valued at around 13000 Now, she herself only makes about roughly a little over 15000 a year on her income. And then she's got these two assets and was wondering. How old did you say she is? She's 59, almost, well, almost 59 and a half. So she's wondering if she could position it in something that would give her more income. First of all, let's understand what she's talking about. What she's talking about is a tax-sheltered annuity, not a tax-deferred annuity. She said, yeah, it was tax-sheltered. You understand the difference between the two? No, sir. (laughs) Okay. A tax-deferred annuity is bought with after-tax dollars and it grows tax-deferred. Okay. But the money that went in there originally was taxed. A tax-sheltered annuity was bought with pre-tax dollars, and this money has never been taxed. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So yeah. she has a tax-sheltered annuity, also called a 403B plan because she was a teacher. She cannot roll that over to a treasury, no, because a treasury is a regular investment. She oh. can't do that. All right. What she can do is she can, because it's an annuity and it's a tax-sheltered annuity, she can do a rollover, an IRA rollover. She can roll it over to an IRA 
at an independent trust company, which is what she should do. She should not roll it over to a bank IRA, but roll it over to an independent trust company, IRA, rollover account. And then if she wants to buy a treasury, which she may or may not want to do, she could buy it then inside that IRA. If you'd like to call me at my office, my office number is 872-7000. That's 872-7000. Okay, very good. What's new in the area of tax planning? Well, you know, I'm thinking the the issue of the taxes on the IRA and the issue of the annuity really is more a question of double fees. You're paying one fee for the annuity, which is an insurance product, to get tax relief. Then you've got another question, another situation, which is basically the IRA, which protects you from taxes. So you've got a tax-sheltered investment and a tax-sheltered investment. And In a pay- tax-sheltered environment. That's right. That's not good. That, that's not good. You so know. if you can get out of it and move to a situation where you're in an um, independent custodial account, you then can control what's inside it and deal with its taxes. Yeah. I, you know what? Let's take Ralph's call. I think Ralph's on hold. Let's take his call before we continue this discussion. Ralph, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you? Hi, Doug. I was on hold for about two and a half seconds. Oh. <laughs> well, we've sorry. got good response time then, Ralph. This is Deborah Lewis. How can we help you tonight? Well, here's my situation. I have one question that is uh, I've been pondering for, for quite, quite a while. Okay. I am retired from IBM after many, many, many years. Uh, and I worked a few more past that and just stopped working last year. I'm 70, well, actually, I'm 73 this week. Happy birthday. Thank you. And um, in, in, I've got my money in, in a number of different places, but uh, basically there is a million in tax deferred. There's a million in tax not deferred, as in already paid, mm-hmm. and I have uh, I have some uh, IRA trusts in place. I am sort of a, a, a pretty frugal guy, and uh, I don't. Uh, I've got about a hundred thousand a year coming in, including the uh, RMD. Now wait a second. Where is the R- <clears throat> where is the RMD coming from? You said a million in tax deferred. Is that a four hundred one k, or is that your old TDSP that you rolled into a four hundred one k? I mean, you rolled into an IRA. Okay, it is in it is in roughly two fifty percent half million dollar chunks. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, uh, but what I'm asking, what's the wrapper? Yeah, what's the wrapper? I, I, I understand. Okay. Uh, the the first five hundred is in an, an IBM four hundred one k. Okay. And the other is in an asset allocation fund that was the uh, uh, the retirement from IBM. But that, but both that, are at IBM. Are they both still at IBM in, a, in the four hundred one k? Yes. Okay, so they're still in the four hundred one k, and fr- and and you're getting an RMD, a required minimum distribution of a hundred thousand. Uh, no, I'm getting an RMD. It's uh, about forty thousand, but I have about sixty in other income. Okay, not coming in. All right, all right. I, I tried to anticipate all your questions. Good. Okay. Well, the, all right. Well, I got a few more questions for you before I can come to my to the uh, to an answer. Have you been listening for a long time, Ralph? Oh, I well, not today, but I listen 
pretty much every Sunday. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's for you that we enjoy coming Sunday nights to the radio station to do a live show. Well, thank you for saying <laughs> Let me hear a couple more facts. Are you married or, or? I'm by myself. All right. You're single. Okay, good. That's the first thing. Uh, do you have, at your death, do you have uh, any children or where's your estate supposed to go? Uh, to my two Oh, you have children from a, from a previous ma- or from a, from you have two, you have two children. Yes. Okay. Uh, next question is your living expenses. What's your annual lifestyle estimate? Uh, it's a believe it or not, it's about thirty k a year. About thirty thousand a year. That seems low. Are you including vacation and travel and clothing and gifts there? Oh yes, I am. Okay, good. All right. If we go for and by the way, write down this phone number. Write down nine one nine eight seven two. Seven zero zero zero. That's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's my office number to where we can schedule an appointment to meet with you face to face and get into specifics that I can't mention because of your confidentiality on the air. Okay, so I've got facts about you. I've got age. I've got marital status. I've got income, and I've got your investments. Now, what's your question uh, directly that you want me to answer tonight? My question is about the asset allocation. Fund. All right. Uh, it's currently set up at 2010 uh, because that's roughly the time I left IBM. And I in no way anticipate ever touching it. I expect it to be, when, uh, when I'm gone, I expect it to, to be part of what goes to my two kids. So the question is, why, why am I not, since I have it in an IRA trust, why am I not upping that year considerably because it's going to be their uh, asset allocation fund. You know, you bring up, it does. And you bring up a really clear uh, question, but also something that we are talking about frequently. Another name for these types of funds, when they put the year in the date, in the the name of the fund is called a target date. Right. And And the meaning behind target is, if one were invested in this asset allocation fund, it would be so that when you retired in 2010, you'd be prepared. Unfortunately, you have to end that sentence with, does the fund expect you to take all your money out and it would be up to the end or to continue being invested after? So you bring up a good question. Is it properly positioned? Uh, the, in a sense, that's exactly what I'm asking. All right. Now, I'm let me ask. Yeah, okay. Let me. All right. And wondering. Why it shouldn't be 2030 or 2035 or something. Actually, it should be neither. And that's my point. In the world of asset allocation, there are three methods. One is a straight class method where the whoever is deciding what money is going where, he does it according to one class, let's say stocks or bonds or real estate or treasuries. That's a class allocation. Mm -hmm. Okay. And... Then there is a ratio allocation, which is what you're in. Uh, That's correct. A ratio allocation puts a percent of either stocks, bonds, or cash. Unfortunately, that is betting on a class of investments, which I don't like because if we think of that, do you remember the year 2008? I thought you might ask that sometime or other. <laughs> All right. That was the time that a lot of callers were calling me, some from IBM, saying, Doug, my 401k just became a 201k. What happened? Uh, and that's because that the stock market dropped from a high to a low 
about 50% drop. Now, during that period, you would think, well, stocks are riskier and bonds are less risky. However, that's not what happened at that time. As a matter of fact, there was one fund, very well-known fund, I better not mention the name on the air, that it dropped 80%. So you can't say bonds are safer and stocks are, are riskier. That's a class determination, especially if we're in a world of low interest rates, which we are now the lowest in your lifetime. So knowing that, knowing that you are in a class allocation, I don't like that. I prefer that you be allocated according to managers. So I don't like the target date funds at all. I would rather that instead of you letting them say, oh, we'll bet on the classes and we'll have so much in stock, so much in bonds, and it's going to all work out perfectly till it hits 2010. By the way, the target date funds have never. They're never doing what they say. Well, this- you bring up a good point, Doug, because even if, Ralph, you change it to the 2030, here's the reality. If you're a man who knows now that it's not going to be a retire a source of retirement income, you're in a position that you can choose those investments inside it in an independent custodial account. In other words, choose your own wrapper, your own IRA, have it all be under your control so that you can do exactly what you want with it. But what I would do inside that account, inside that wrapper, whether you wrote, when you roll it to an IRA, which I think you should, I agree with Deborah hundred percent, but then select the investments, build the investment portfolio with an asset allocation that you're comfortable with you and I together. And we make that basis on managers, individual managers, personal returns, not class. We're looking for managers that have consistently beaten the index and we can hold their feet to the fire before we say, all right, we're going to allocate $200,000 to this fund, okay? And then we're going to allocate another 200 to this fund and another 200 to this fund, but only after we've examined the track record of those managers. Now you're betting on managers, not classes. Does that make sense to you? There's a very di- big difference. Oh, I, I understand. And actually, I've, I've heard you make this argument numerous times before. <laughs> now we're making it on your behalf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really what it all comes down to is when you are in a position to customize something that is designed to meet the masses needs and you can turn it into something that is specific for you, you're no longer tied to the 401k asset allocation fund at IBM. You have the freedom to leave. So choose it. Yeah, I and, and I'm giving you the advice that I use with my own investment portfolio as well as my family's portfolios and so forth. I I use the manager approach, looking for managers, and then I'm comfortable. And I'm very often I go and meet with some of these managers on behalf of my clients. But I would look at your whole world. For example, you've got a million tax deferred and a million after tax. Basically, that's one pair of pants with two pockets totaling two million. And I would allocate to protect the risk according to the two million. You see what I'm saying? Yes. I don't want duplication of one versus the other. Then, of course, if you are not spending all of your RMD, which it sounds to me like you're not going well. If you if your RMD is forty thousand and you're spending and your lifestyle is thirty thousand, you might. Is that what you're doing? You're living off of that? Uh, no, I've actually I've got another sixty. Okay. Coming in All right. from various sources. Oh, that's what that's what I figured because you hadn't even mentioned Social Security and so forth. All right. No. So, all right. So, what you're doing then is you're moving money 
from certain managers who are inside this rollover IRA that Deborah talked about after you've moved everything from the IBM 401k into a self-trusted IRA account where you decide what you want with my help, of course. All right. Then, but as it's coming out, then you're sending that RMD over to the other portfolio, the after-tax portfolio, and you're getting a double bang. You're actually dollar cost averaging. Gotcha. And now, because you're a longtime listener, did we answer your specific question? Uh, I, I, I would say mostly. Okay. Then uh, let's circle back to anything that's still not answered, because well, we, we love that, uh, that you did call in, knowing a little bit more than the average first-time listener. Well, very kind of you. I'm not sure how true that is. Let's assume I had, I had answered the question instead of... Uh, uh, instead of the the asset allocation approach that it was set up um, according to the the individual uh, account manager, um, the question still remains: How does the fact that this money is not viewed by me as money that I'm going to ever need? And you know, I'm 73. My kids are in their mid 40s. Uh, I got it. I, how, how, yes, how no, I do. That, okay, I, I, I've got the answer to that one. Yes, I do, because you're like a lot of my clients now who are in their 70s and 80s, and there's no way in the world. What they're really doing as we're looking at this, we're actually looking at building the children's inheritance. Exactly. That's what we're doing. And I, and many times, some of my clients, as a matter of fact, their children who are in their 60s, they're meeting with me in the office right now. So I would be draining as fast as I could your IRA because at your death, the, the spouse does, there's no spouse. That means about 40% of that money they'll never receive because you've got, in, you've got, uh, you've got income in respect of decedent at death. Taxes. I, I don't, is that true if it's uh, inside an IRA trust? Yes, it yeah. is. Yes, it is. All right. However, my point is looking at it. It's the, just, and the simple reason why is it's income that's never been taxed. That's so right. the IRS is expecting it to be taxed. And it will. That's I, it. I, I understand that I, that the RMD has to continue to be taken out, but I no no, no the whole thing the has whole to be taken out according to the children. Now. Well, are right, you're talking? Well, you know, you're yeah, talking. Now you've confused things. So when one dies, the lo- the law language says you can take only the required minimum distribution if you would like to up until the point you die. But the day you die, all income taxes are due on the entire principle. That's on your part. So uh, you're, don't don't confuse it with what the children's choices might be later, and that's very likely to go away. But we won't even get into that. I understand that that's at least a potential. Yes. That, well, that that we're but pretty that's their sure. Choice. Yeah, we're pretty, anyway, that's well, not yours. Well, but we're pretty sure Trump is going to do away with the stretch IRA. That's the stretch IRA provision. That's the ch- the children say, I don't need it. I don't want it. Stretch it out over my lifetime. I don't want it. But my point is there's a much better way to do what you're trying to do, which is to build their inheritance and get it away from the tax liability. You have the ability probably to double or two and a half times the entire amount over your lifetime for them. Having it come out of one pocket into the other, the qual- the non-qualified portfolio. Right. Because at death, that's all tax-free. They get the step up in, ver- in, in basis and they would pay zero taxes by sheer inheritance. Yeah, there's going to be some step up in basis for the IBM stock that I've held because I owe right. 
I mean, I, uh, the more layers that we hear about, you really need to give us a call. You've got our number. We uh, look forward to speaking with you off air so that we can really dig deeper. But you're exactly right. It's this kind of tax planning that can be done ahead of time that will make everything much more beneficial in the end. And prior to the end, you'll feel like you were really, truly in control. Well, I appreciate that, and you've certainly given me a lot to... uh, Ralph, have you been to our website? uh, Yes, I have. Good. Okay, I was going to make sure that you and all the other listeners, I haven't mentioned it tonight, the website is DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com, and I also haven't had a chance to mention tonight that for Ralph, when he comes to see us, and any other listener who comes to see us over the next week for your first appointment, we're giving away one of three free books Either The Wealthy Barber, which I like very much, even though it's out of print, but I have a lot of extra copies I give to clients, Middle Class Millionaire, or Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. And Ralph, we look forward to talking to you offline because I think um, I think you're at the right place at the right time, and I think you're wanting to ask all the right questions to do some real comprehensive financial planning. So give us a call this week, 919-872-7000, and um, we enjoyed your call tonight. Thank you for saying so. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. I like like listeners that have listened long enough to do like what Ralph said. uh, Be prepared. Be prepared and know the kinds of questions that we're going to be asking so we can come to getting getting some answers. You know, and that reminds me of the answers that uh, there was a recent survey exposing the dangerous knowledge gaps in the majority of Americans with regard to retirement. Uh. It was really interesting. And I think it pinpoints a lot of things that we may not know and we think we know. Um, Because getting ready for retirement is a big deal and getting it wrong is even worse. The data that varies from survey to survey exposes the same thing. It's the fact that far too many Americans have saved too little or that most of the rest of us probably haven't saved enough. And there are always some questions that you need to know. So here are a few of them tonight, Doug. Here's the first one. Roughly, how much do investment professionals estimate people need to save by the time they retire? 75% of the people that were asked that guessed wrong. The correct answer is 10 times your last full year's income. So if you make 75000 a year, most people say do a quick 10 times 75000 is 750000 in your retirement accounts. So how often over the past 35 years do you think the market has had a positive annual return? 90% of the people got this one wrong. It, and the questions went on and on. We'll cover them more next week. I think I can hear the music coming in the background. I want to go ahead, though, and just remind our listeners that Money Matters is also available on demand. You can listen to our podcast online at WPTF.com. Tonight, Tonight. we've covered advisor fees, Trump's tax plan, inflation, retirement questions. And we also want to remind you that... You can join us next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. on WPTF. But in the meantime, always remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. 
For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF.